Chapters 16 through 20 of Theologia Germanica. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by J. A. Carter. Theologia Germanica by an anonymous author. Translated by Susanna Winkworth. Chapter 16 through 20. Chapter 16. Telleth us what is the old man and what is the new man. Again, when we read of the old man and the new man, we must mark what that meaneth. The old man is Adam and disobedience, the self, the me, and so forth. But the new man is Christ and true obedience, a giving up and denying oneself of all temporal things and seeking the honor of God alone in all things. And when dying and perishing and the like are spoken of, it meaneth that the old man should be destroyed and not seek its own either in spiritual or in natural things. For where this is brought about in a true divine light, there the new man is born again. In like manner it hath been said that man should die unto himself, that is, to earthly pleasures, consolations, joys, appetites, the eye, the self, and all that is thereof in man, to which he clingeth, and on which he is yet leaning with content, and thinketh much of. Whether it be the man himself, or any other creature, whatever it be, it must depart and die, if the man is to be brought aright to another mind, according to the truth. Thereunto doth St. Paul exhort us, saying, Put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now he who liveth to himself after the old man is called, and truly is, a child of Adam. And though he may give diligence to the ordering of his life, he is still the child and brother of the evil spirit. But he who liveth in humble obedience and in the new man, which is Christ, he is in like manner the brother of Christ and the child of God. Behold, where the old man dieth and the new man is born, there is that second birth of which Christ saith, Except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Likewise St. Paul saith, As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. That is to say, all who follow Adam in pride, in lust of the flesh, and in disobedience, are dead in soul, and never will or can be made alive but in Christ. And for this cause, so long as a man is an Adam or his child, he is without God. Christ saith, He who is not with me is against me. Now he who is against God is dead before God. Whence it followeth that all Adam's children are dead before God. But he who standeth with Christ in perfect obedience, he is with God and liveth. As it hath been said already, sin lieth in the turning away of the creature from the Creator, which agreeeth with what we have now said. For he who is in disobedience is in sin, and sin can never be atoned for or healed but by returning to God. And this is brought to pass by humble obedience. For so long as a man continueth in disobedience, his sin can never be blotted out. 
Let him do what he will, it availeth him nothing. Let us be assured of this. For disobedience is itself sin. But when a man entereth into the obedience of the faith, all is healed and blotted out and forgiven and not else. Insomuch that if the evil spirit himself could come into true obedience, he would become an angel again, and all his sin and wickedness would be healed and blotted out and forgiven at once. And could an angel fall into disobedience, he would straightway become an evil spirit, although he did nothing afresh. If then it were possible for a man to renounce himself and all things, and to live as holy and purely in true obedience as Christ did in his human nature, such a man were quite without sin, and were one thing with Christ, and the same by grace which Christ was by nature. But it is said, this cannot be. So also it is said, there is none without sin. But be that as it may, this much is certain, that the nearer we are to perfect obedience, the less we sin, and the farther from it we are, the more we sin. In brief, whether a man be good, better, or best of all, bad, worse, or worst of all, sinful or saved before God, it all lieth in this matter of obedience. Therefore it hath been said, the more of self and me, the more of sin and wickedness. So likewise it hath been said, the more the self, the I, the me, the mine, that is, self-seeking and selfishness, abate in a man, the more doth God's I, that is, God himself, increase in him. Now, if all mankind abode in true obedience, there would be no grief nor sorrow. For if it were so, all men would be at one, and none would vex or harm another. So also none would lead a life or do any deed contrary to God's will. Whence then should grief or sorrow arise? But now, alas, all men, nay, the whole world, lieth in disobedience. Now were a man simply and wholly obedient as Christ was, all disobedience were in him a sharp and bitter pain. But though all men were against him, they could neither shake nor trouble him. For while in this obedience a man were one with God, and God himself were one with the man. Behold now, all disobedience is contrary to God and nothing else. In truth, no thing is contrary to God. No creature nor creature's work nor anything that we can name or think of is contrary to God or displeasing to him, but only disobedience and the disobedient man. In short, all that is is well-pleasing and good in God's eyes, saving only the disobedient man. But he is so displeasing and hateful to God, and grieveth him so sore, that if it were possible for human nature to die a hundred deaths, God would willingly suffer them all for one disobedient man, that he might slay disobedience in him, and that obedience might be born again. Behold, albeit no man may be so single and perfect in his obedience as Christ was, Yet it is possible to every man to approach so near thereunto as to be rightly called godlike and a partaker of the divine nature. And the nearer a man cometh thereunto, and the more godlike and divine he becometh, the more he hateth all disobedience, sin, evil, and unrighteousness, and the worse they grieve him. Disobedience and sin are the same thing, 
For there is no sin but disobedience, and what is done of disobedience is all sin. Therefore all we have to do is to keep ourselves from disobedience. Chapter 17 How we are not to take unto ourselves what we have done well, but only what we have done amiss. Behold, now it is reported, there be some who vainly think and say that they are so wholly dead to self and quit of it, as to have reached and abide in a state where they suffer nothing and are moved by nothing, just as if all men were living in obedience or as if there were no creatures. And thus they profess to continue always in an even temper of mind, so that nothing cometh amiss to them, howsoever things fall out, well or ill. Nay, verily, the matter standeth not so, but as we have said. It might be thus, if all men were brought into obedience, but until then it cannot be. But it may be asked, Are not we to be separate from all things, and neither to take unto ourselves evil nor good? I answer, No one shall take goodness unto himself, for that belongeth to God, and his goodness only. But thanks be unto the man, and everlasting reward and blessings, who is fit and ready to be a dwelling and tabernacle of the eternal goodness and Godhead, wherein God may exert his power and will and work without hindrance. But if any now will excuse himself for sin by refusing to take what is evil unto himself, and laying the guilt thereof upon the evil spirit, and thus make himself out to be quite pure and innocent, as our first parents Adam and Eve did while they were yet in paradise, when each laid the guilt upon the other. He hath no right at all to do this, for it is written, There is none without sin. Therefore I say, Reproach, shame, loss, woe, and eternal damnation be to the man who is fit and ready and willing that the evil spirit and falsehood lies and all untruth wickedness and other evil things should have their will and pleasure, word and work in him, and make him their house and habitation. Chapter 18 How that the life of Christ is the noblest and best life that ever hath been or can be, and how a careless life of false freedom is the worst life that can be. Of a truth we ought to know and believe that there is no life so noble and good and well-pleasing to God as the life of Christ, and yet it is to nature and selfishness the bitterest life. A life of carelessness and freedom is to nature and the self and the me the sweetest and pleasantest life, but it is not the best, and in some men may become the worst. But though Christ's life be the most bitter of all, yet it is to be preferred above all. Hereby shall ye mark this, there is an inward sight which hath power to perceive the one true good, and that it is neither this nor that, but that of which St. Paul saith, when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. By this he meaneth that the whole and perfect excelleth all the fragments, and that all which is in part and imperfect is as naught compared to the perfect. Thus, likewise, all knowledge of the parts is swallowed up when the whole is known, and where the good is known, it cannot but be longed for and loved so greatly that all other love wherewith the man hath loved himself and other things fadeth away. And that inward sight likewise perceiveth what is best and noblest in all things, and loveth it in the one true good, 
and only for the sake of that true good. Behold, where there is this inward sight, the man perceiveth of a truth that Christ's life is the best and noblest life, and therefore the most to be preferred, and he willingly accepteth and endureth it, without a question or a complaint, whether it please or offend nature or other men, whether he like or dislike it, findeth sweet or bitter, and the like. And therefore, whenever this perfect and true good is known, there also the life of Christ must be led until the death of the body. And he who vainly thinketh otherwise is deceived, and he who saith otherwise lieth. And in what man the life of Christ is not, of him the true good and eternal truth will nevermore be known. Chapter 19 How we cannot come to the true light and Christ's life by much questioning or reading or by high natural skill and reason, but by truly renouncing ourselves and all things. Let no one suppose that we may attain to this true light and perfect knowledge or life of Christ by much questioning, or by hearsay, or by reading and study, nor yet by high skill and great learning. Yea, so long as a man taketh account of anything which is this or that, whether it be himself or any other creature, or doeth anything, or frameth a purpose for the sake of his own likings, or desires, or opinions, or ends, he cometh not unto the life of Christ. This hath Christ himself declared, for he saith, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. He that taketh not his cross, and followeth after me, is not worthy of me. And if he hate not his father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. He meaneth it thus, He who doth not forsake and part with everything can never know my eternal truth, nor attain unto my life. And though this had never been declared to us, yet the truth herself saith it, for it is so of a truth. But so long as a man clingeth unto the elements and fragments of this world, and above all to himself, and holdeth converse with them, and maketh great account of them, he is deceived and blinded, and perceiveth what is good no further than as it is most convenient and pleasant to himself, and profitable to his own ends. These he holdeth to be the highest good, and loveth above all. Thus he never cometh to the truth. Chapter 20 How, seeing that the life of Christ is most bitter to nature and self, nature will have none of it, and chooseth a false, careless life as is most convenient to her. Now since the life of Christ is every way most bitter to nature and the self and the me, for in the true life of Christ the self and the me and nature must be forsaken and lost and die altogether, Therefore in each of us nature hath a horror of it, and thinketh it evil and unjust and a folly, and graspeth after such a life as shall be most comfortable and pleasant to herself, and saith and believeth also in her blindness that such a life is the best possible. Now nothing is so comfortable and pleasant to nature as a free, careless way of life. Therefore she clingeth to that, and taketh enjoyment in herself and her own powers, and looketh only to her own peace and comfort and the like. And this happeneth most of all, where there are high natural gifts of reason, for that soareth upward in its own light and by its own power, till at last it cometh to think itself the true eternal light, and giveth itself out as such, 
and is thus deceived in itself, and deceiveth other people along with it, who know no better, and also are thereunto inclined. End of chapter 16 through 20. Recording by J. A. Carter. www.afewparagraphs.com.